Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. Anybody know that song? From the one and only uh, Johnny Cash. But originally, Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor. It's quite a story, though, as how Johnny Cash got to this song uh, written by Trent Reznor when he was dealing with severe drug problems and depression, uh, living in the house uh, where uh, Sharon Tate once lived in. So that's not a good mood to set for good songs. But how did Johnny Cash come into this song? He was in the late 80s uh, wash-up, a has-been. He was insignificant, which is the worst thing you could be when you're an entertainer, when you had it all, when everyone was looking for you, when you were hot, and now no one cares. And it really is true, because now I think we sort of take it for granted, like Johnny Cash, this icon. But there was a time in the late 80s or whatever, he wasn't that name, he wasn't that prestigious thing, he was kind of forgotten and washed up. And he was weak, and he had a number of sicknesses that kind of really tore him down, and he was even suffering from another relapse to addiction. And this guy, Rick Rubin, came, who I think also was Run DMC, by the way, great producer, and he discovers that Johnny Cash wasn't doing anything, and he got a hold of him, and he said, I want you to sing these, these songs. And, and what Rick Rubin did is he took Cash as he was, broken down, weak, older. Of course, he's only 60 at the time, so I don't think that's old. But uh, and just let him sing with the guitar. And this is one of the songs. And it fit perfectly, and he loved it because it really fit what he had learned, right? Everyone I know goes away in the end. You can have it all, my empire of dirt. He had had everything. He'd built a life. He was a hero. He was successful in every way. And he, all, he saw it all disappear. Meaningless. If you watch the video, which we have a, a uh, uh, which uh, next summer we will be watching on cool screens that will fit into the decor of this place, by the way. If you watch the video, it's brilliant as well. And, I, and it's been a while. It was watched all the time about 20 years ago. But check it out. Because it shows you, as you can see the cover here, of this, this man surrounded by all the good things of life, the gold and the food and everything, and yet he looks like he's breaking down, he's getting older, and the video shows clips of him when he was young, on top of his game, physically just alive, running around, and now here he is. And what has he become? And Johnny Cash, I think, really, to me, what I like about him, he speaks about Jesus in a raw way. That when everything else lets you down, 
all your accomplishments, there's one thing that's still there, and it is Christ. So why not figure that out now (laughs) instead of realize it at the end of your life or when things are tough? The chief priests and the elders thought they were something else as well. They were in charge of, I think this mic is a problem, by the way. Can you turn this off? Because something's echoing this. They were the heroes. They were the righteous leaders. They were the experts in Scripture. They taught the people right and wrong. And the people looked up to them. They were the celebrities of their town, these chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees, when you see those words in the New Testament. And not only were the experts in in what's right and wrong and looked up to for authority, they also were successful. They had a good business. They had a big family. They were blessed. And it seems they kind of enjoyed it, having authority. Their little place in Judea, in Jerusalem. So when Jesus comes on the scene... He sort of competes with them. In the end, that's really what it's all about. And what I love about chapter 21 of Matthew is Jesus finally no longer hints at these things. He comes in hard. Palm Sunday. You know what Palm Sunday is, right? Jesus enters. The last week before he's going to die, he enters on Sunday. He comes in on a colt. People praise him, and they treat him like a king. And he is sending the message by hopping on that colt. He is making it very clear with, with visuals that he is the king of Israel. Make no mistake, that's the message he is sending. That's scary. That's a coup. So people are praising him, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the the name of David, right? It's the heir of David. He's coming in strong. What do you think, Herod? What do you think the Pharisees, what do you think the chief priests are going to think when Jesus comes in as king? And then what does he do next? You can all read it in chapter 21 of Matthew. The next thing he does, he goes right to the temple. So he comes in as a political new king, and now he goes to the temple. And what does he do in the temple? flips over the tables, and with a whip, he removes everybody from the temple area. These are ballsy things. These are asking for a problem. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all that those in charge are a little insulted. I think you would be too if Jesus came to your house and started rearranging your furniture or moving the rooms around, or sets up his bedroom in the master suite. You might want to ask this question. What's the question that the uh, chief priest asks? By what authority are you doing these things? I mean, these are blasphemous things. To go in the temple and just remove people, that's blasphemy. To come in as a king, like that deserves a death sentence. That's a coup. That's being a traitor. So by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Good question. So Jesus answers this, and this is what happens. When you ask Jesus questions, 
usually you get more questions, right? So they say this, and Jesus says, I'm going to ask you one question, and if you can tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And he says, uh, John the Baptist. The baptism of John, from where did it come? Heaven or man? Now, everyone loved John the Baptist. The Pharisees, the leaders, those in charge weren't so sure. And so they do this. Instead of seeking the truth or having a debate with Scripture as to whether or not John the Baptist came from God, whether or not his message was something that came from God, look at how they talk about it. They get together, they discuss, and they say, if we say from heaven, he's going to tell us, why don't you believe him? And if we say from man, well, John the Baptist is really popular, and we're, gonna not, we're not going to look good. Now, did either of those questions have anything to do with pursuing the truth? What did they care about? The chief priests, the elders, the experts in the law, what did they care about? Did they care about really finding out whether or not Jesus was in charge, was sent from God, or anything like that? They care only about their, only, their own position, right? That's all they care about. This dialogue has nothing to do with determining whether or not John came from God. And you know what? They probably knew that he did. What they needed to do is stay in charge. And so what do they do? They don't give him an answer. Jesus probably wouldn't care what the— If they said, we don't think it's from God, Jesus would probably tell them, it is. But they give him a worse answer than that. They say, I don't know. Why? Because it was the politically smart answer. So they won't look bad in front of the people, and Jesus can't tell them that you should have listened to John the Baptist. They just fit in that political, right? It sounds, it sounds, doesn't that not sound like the debates we're soon going to be watching, right? I don't know. You do know. But you don't think you can say it because then you're going to lose the polls or something like that. You're not pursuing the truth. You're just trying to be popular. You can relate to this, right? Because in the end, these guys know exactly who Jesus is. They don't like Jesus only for this reason. It's because they want to be the authority. They want to be the dictator of this little country, this little tiny little town that nobody knows of outside of 10 miles of Jerusalem, their own little lives. They want to be in charge. And it's kind of funny because Rome was really owned all of Israel, and they let these guys be in charge. It was just enough. little comfortable little position of having a little bit of authority, a little bit of praise from the people, they liked that so much that they were deaf and blind to reality, to Jesus. And I believe they absolutely knew who Jesus was. They saw the miracles. They heard him speak the truth. But sin does that. It makes you into this little dictator of your own little world, even though you're messing it all up. And we're just like that. You're just like that. As Christians, we talk a big talk. Like the chief priests, 
oh God, you're awesome, I love God, all these things. But when it comes to him actually moving into our house and changing the furniture and rearranging our lives, no. You can have the guest bedroom. Don't move anything else. Who is the authority in your life? What are you protecting? You know, you hear people say this in terms of authority, in terms of morality, right? If God is in charge, then his morality is what we should be following. What he says is right and wrong is more important than what we think is right and wrong. Absolutely. But then there's those that need to also hear, if God says those people should be forgiven, then they should be forgiven. Who cares what you think? If Jesus loves all and died for all, should we not treat them the same? Nobody in the spectrum of Christians, none of us are great at listening to everything Jesus says and letting him totally be the author of our lives, of our world view. Jesus goes on here. And he says, he says this, he gives him a little parable. He says, uh, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I'm not going to. And then later on he did. And then the dad went to the other son and said the same thing. And the guy says, um, yeah, I'm going to, and then does it. By the way, I think I fit both those son descriptions in my uh, the history of my life. If you ask my dad, I want, your kids are probably the same, right? So Jesus looks at the, the Pharisees and says, which one obeyed God? And they said, of course, the one that changed their mind. And then Jesus looked at them, those pompous sons of guns. And he says this, truly I say to you, the tax collectors, those scummy people that, you, that, are, that are terrible, that have stolen from this country, who are traitors, and those prostitutes. And he gets very clear. He's not even saying general sinner anymore. He's talking and pointing to the people that they thought were the worst and unsavable. And he says, they're going to be in the kingdom of God before you. Because John came to you in the way of righteousness, which means Jesus is answering the question. Yep, John is from God. And yeah, so am I. John came to you in righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes and people that hadn't been in synagogue for years, people that are far lost, they got it when John said, repent. And then I love what Jesus says here. And even when you saw it, and what they see? Even when you saw people who hadn't stepped in a synagogue for years, who had thought that they were far from God, who had rejected God a long time ago and didn't care, when you saw them come to faith and enjoy God's forgiveness, you creeps, you still didn't believe. Why were the tax collectors, the prostitutes, why are they able to let Jesus, to let God have authority in their life? Why is it easier for them? Because it is. Because they're like this. They're at the bottom of the barrel. They know what it's like to be the dictator of their own life and the fruits of it, and they end up, as the song says, hurt others, let alone themselves. 
and look down and see they've got an empire of dirt. It's easy for them because they've realized them being in charge doesn't go well. It pushes people away, and you know what? The joke is this, you don't actually love yourself. Interestingly, (laughs) you don't actually love yourself. They were desperate. Please, God, be my authority because I stink at it. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you the same. Let go of that authority you imagine to have, that empire of dirt you're clinging to, because it will be taken away. It will go away. It's not yours. You can't hold it, and it will not save you. And it's a lie. And let Jesus be in charge because he actually loves you more than you love yourself. And and, and I say this not just logically. It's logical to say, like, I'm not God. God is God. Therefore, I should listen to God. That's a logical, that's an intelligent assessment. If you are totally non-Christian, that is an intellectual, even scientific assessment. I'm not God. Obviously, something made all this. That's the person I should listen to. But I'm not talking about that. This God is not just God. Don't obey him just because he's God. But because this Jesus who puts down these Pharisees and tries to correct them goes to the cross and dies for them, for those tax collectors, for those prostitutes, for you. The authority of all things lays down his life for you. God is not just here to tell us right and wrong and tell us truth, but to love us. Let God have authority means to let God love you, forgive you, and give you hope. And quite frankly, like I told the kids, how nice it is to be a kid and someone else is in charge. I encourage you to let Jesus be in charge. It's actually a more peaceful experience in life to know that God's got this, even your salvation to let him be authority, to be authoritative in your life. And you just rest in his arms as the one that takes care of you, speaks to you, encourages you, leads you, and has saved you. In Jesus' name, amen.